Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. We're hoping you enjoy the video podcast so far. We've certainly enjoyed being able to see our guests face-to-face, even if it's not in the same room, because we're obviously still recording these virtually to follow all uh, CDC protocol, and we want to make sure our guests are safe. So we are remotely recording, but it's at least good to see faces again. So uh, so we're happy for that. <laughs> Today, we're welcoming in Panji Barnes, and Panji is one of those people who we, we, we look at what uh, we, we looked at a program that she was doing, a, a group that she started called Little Owners, which we'll talk about later, a company that she started there. And uh, we were really excited about that. But then we get deeper and deeper and deeper into what you're doing. And it's like, wow, you're doing a ton of amazing things. And so there's a lot to talk about. But we're really excited to do that. And so thank you for joining us today, Panji. Thank you for inviting me. I do like to start off talking about where you're from. And it's always interesting when we get Chicagoans on the show because uh, we are a Chicago-centric uh, podcast. But a lot of people have moved here, obviously. But I understand that you were raised here in Chicago. Yes, I was raised on the south side of Chicago. Um, I currently still reside on the south side of Chicago, but I was raised um, like 103rd Street near like the high school of Julian. So that's the high school that I attended. So I was raised in that area. And uh, my parents, I grew up in a two-parent household. Uh, My dad, he worked for the city. So he worked as a mechanic for CTA. And then he also had a small um, like auto repair shop where he also had his own business, um, like on 69th Street, like very close off the expressway exit. Um, so, and then my mom, um, she also worked in the business, but now she's a CPS teacher. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I grew up right on the south side of Chicago. And it was weird because I grew up middle class, but I was surrounded by a lot of poverty. Yeah. So um, it was just odd growing up because you see so much like lack, but then you have like a comfortable lifestyle and you're able to attend private schools or go on vacations. And then some of your friends don't have that same lifestyle. So that was an interesting part of my childhood. I do have to ask, did your dad ever get to drive a train? Oh, I'm sorry. I broke up. What did you say? I do have to ask, did your dad ever get to drive a train? Because that's like a secret goal of mine. (laughs) (laughs) No, he strictly worked on buses. So that was his only job is to repair the buses. So I remember visiting, like, because he worked at so many different stations, they would move him around a lot. But I just remember visiting and going on those little bus rides around inside of the uh, actual warehouse where they held the buses that need to be repaired. So, Yeah. yeah, that. That was a big part of my memories growing up. Well, for people who don't know maybe much about Chicago, this is a very segregated city. It's uh, really neighborhood-based, and so a lot of people who live in a neighborhood don't go outside of that neighborhood uh, all that much, or or at least a lot of their social interactions happen within that neighborhood. So can you tell us about your neighborhood and, and what it was like for you to grow up there and and what your friends were like there? Yeah, so I grew up in, you know, it's so weird because they change it. Like, I think it's it was called Roseland, but now they like saying that it's in Washington Heights. So it's like on the edge. So Roseland, Washington Heights. But um, basically just a lot of dilapidated houses. Um, you know, just seeing like um, we, we lived on a main street. So there was like really no quiet. Very, very busy urban street where you have like prostitutes walking up and down the street, um, drug addicts, uh, you hear gunshots. It was very, yeah, it was very interesting and always, you know, something going on. 
um, we had family that lived close to us and just uh, they they also had a middle class lifestyle. Um, my uncle was a firefighter. His his my aunt is a teacher. So, you know, combined and you with those salaries, it gives you ability to do things. But then you look around you and you look at a house that's the roof is falling through or you go to school with kids who didn't have a, their last meal was when they left school yesterday in the afternoon, you know. So you hear those stories, you see the children that, that want and it, it's just a it's just a weird way to grow up um, because you find yourself putting yourself on a pedestal and you know it's just not reality in some ways because it's like you know you're comparing yourself to people that have a really low poverty level and making yourself seem like you know you have an advantage and then you realize that when you grow up these kids had no they had no say in being brought into this world and they you know they they suffered because they just were they lacked so much growing up and so yeah. i look back and i just that's why i give back so much because i know that what i saw growing up i just i feel like kids need to have that exposure to other things besides like you said some don't come outside of their neighborhood yeah so yeah that that has always stuck with me and that's part of my mission do you Especially feel like that even with real estate so yeah yep do you feel like that was a part of your family mission back then too? Yeah, so my parents were very big in, in the idea of trying to rent, um, to revitalize the neighborhood around us. So they felt like they didn't want to move to a better area because they wanted to actually help the neighborhood become better. So yeah, I definitely mm. think that was part. It's, um, my grandmother felt that way. That was really rooted in us. Like, well, you don't want to leave the hood. Why don't you make the hood better, right? And yeah. so, yeah, that, that was definitely something that we believed in. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool to have family in that area and to, mm -hmm. you know, to just be a part of that. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a small town, so Chicago has been a mystery <laughs> to me for a long time. It's always like the big city and, you know, just yes. even living mm -hmm. here now, it just is crazy to me. Um, yes. You know, pre-COVID, I... I live off a stop where from, you know, 7 a.m. till 10 a.m., there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people getting off the train at the stop. And I just look around. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, but it's such a vibrant city. And I, I just love that so much. Yeah, it very much is. But it also is a tale of two cities just like they said you know you have the lack and then you have the people that are flourishing and they're living in prosperity so yeah i mean chicago it's funny even when i describe real estate i always tell people that like you can go on one block and it's manicured and it's everyone's working and it's very you know safe and then you can go two blocks down and it's scary you know it's like now you're in gang territory so chicago can be very you know um yeah. polarizing yeah. Yeah. And and I think that is really awesome, but I think in the past at least it has also kind of created that divide and and, and kind of deepened those racial roots a little bit where um where maybe people feel like they have to kind of protect their territory because it's been taken over and they've been pushed out a little more and and right. I I used to live in uh Old Town and I lived off of Sedgwick and Sedgwick is a street where it's much mm -hmm. like that. Where like on the east side of Sedgwick, you know, that's the old town people think about where it's like at the, the bars and you go to the, the beach and everything. And then on the other side is, is the, the housing projects. And it's like crazy. It's literally the street that separates that. And it was really interesting to me um, because if you, you know, were safe and you, you went into some of that area, it's like some of the, the places to eat and some of the, the places to visit and the, the community centers that are there. Like there's so much fun to be had. Um, just like anywhere else, you just mm -hmm. have to be aware of your surroundings. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that it just also shows how, you know, politicians have not helped to bring more um, vibrancy to some other communities. Like you said, like some other communities have community centers and they have uh, lakes and they have nice parks and things. And then you go to these other neighborhoods and the schools have been closed down. 
um, you know, the parks are not kept up. The grasses. I remember my dad even complaining to me last year. Uh, we were at the park near my home and it was manicured. And he was telling me in my neighborhood, the grass is up to here. And I don't know who to call mm. because this is just ridiculous. So it is definitely, you know, you you will see it depending on where you are in Chicago. Yeah. And obviously you, your heart must be there because you're still there now. Um, mm -hmm. And so what is, is there something that that brought you back there after going to college? You actually went to college in Southern Illinois, which I think is so interesting because yes. most mm -hmm. people don't know that exists. But <laughs> <laughs> you you went to college in true Southern Illinois, not where people think I'm from Southern Illinois when I'm from like Bloomington normal area, but oh, you okay. went to actual <laughs> Southern Illinois. So four and a half five hours out. Absolutely. Yes. Very country. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but kind of experiencing something very different and then coming back, what was it that, that brought you and your heart back to the city and to that area? Um, well, I like living close to my mom, but I don't live like in that area anymore. I'm still like 20 minutes away, but I'm on the south side okay. of Chicago. Um, so I wanted to be still close to my my parents. So um, this the area that I live in is much safer. I live in Beverly now, so um, it's not too far from where my parents live. And it's much safer. The schools are better. And almost every other person is a cop in this neighborhood. Um, so, you know, um, I, I like raising my children here. My husband is a Northsider. It took him a while to embrace the Southside because he is from Evanston. And all of his family are still Northsiders. So they're like, when are you guys going to come back over <laughs> to the <laughs> Northside? But, um, you know, I, I like the Southside of Chicago. Um I don't know if I'll ever move to the north side of Chicago. But yeah, that I think just being close to family is what really brought me back. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell us what you studied in college, because I'm always interested to hear what people studied. It's, it's one of those times where it's like you're making this huge decision at, you know, 18, 17, 18 years old. And yeah. it's always interesting to see how people come about that. So tell us about college for you. Okay, so most people are very surprised to hear that when I went to college, I went for mortuary science. And even my parents were <laughs> caught off guard. And they're like, why do you want okay. to be an undertaker? Why do you want to be a mortician? And so I think I was fascinated with the show. I don't know if you remember, but HBO had a show. Um, basically, they kind of just talked about people working in the morgue and what it's like. And I was fascinated by that. And I was like, that's what I want to be. And so I actually picked SIU because that was the only uh, program that was like at the top to be like a mortuary, to graduate with a mortuary science degree and, um, you know, go into that field. So that's actually why I chose that. And the first year when we had to actually go with the cadavers, I think that was the time I walked right to my <laughs> college advisor and changed my, <laughs> I actually changed my major. Cause I was like, when they started explaining what we had to do and the idea that like I had to pick up this heavy, it, I just couldn't do it. I was like, what was I thinking? So I called my parents. I'm like, I can't, I can't. So <laughs> I uh, eventually went and, um, and signed up for uh, political science is actually what I decided to major in. So, cause I also thought I was going to be a lawyer like you. And so I actually, uh, my parents had told me I was going to be a lawyer since I was a little girl. Like, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a lawyer. And so I was like, well, I'll just try that. And so I did the political science route and I graduated with a degree for that, a bachelor's degree for that. And then I kind of went and did like a business um, in real estate, like staging. And then I went to law school and I did a year of law school and I did not like it. I said, I do not want to do this. I had a baby. And you know what? I honestly think that if I had went to law school, like my friends straight out of college, I probably would have finished the, the three years. Mm. But I think because I waited till I was 25 years old and I had a one year old, I think I was just overwhelmed. Like, oh, my gosh, like this is a lot. So, yeah, that, that was like my path. And then I just realized how much I just love real estate. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you obviously have a passion for real estate, um, and, and I think it's great sort of where you've let it take you, because it seems like you kind of started in one place and were just like, okay, I'll do this next thing now. And so <laughs> let's talk about where you started, because 
I I read this and and I'm I mean I'm sure it's true, but it's kind of crazy to me is, is that you bought your first property when you were in college. Yes. So junior in college, and um, I've always been like an entrepreneur. Like I said, my dad entrepreneur and so when i was young he gave me the book um i think i was 13 years old robert kiyosaki rich dad poor dad um i think most entrepreneurs read that book and it had a light bulb moment and so for me even in college i didn't have a job so i would always be selling shirts selling stuff on ebay like doing other things so when i started watching like hgtv and tlc um i noticed that they were doing flipping shows and so we were at the boom of the market and so i was like these people are doing it why can't i and so honestly like i thought this tv stuff was real so i was like i know i can <laughs> buy some property and get 100k right and so um basically because of the way during that time when it was a boom the way that you know the loans were set up they just took my ebay paperwork and they were like oh okay <laughs> and they let me buy a house and so i bought a condo in chicago in the um beverly community and i flipped that condo and it was a disaster i didn't make any money i walked away actually bring the check to closing it was ridiculous so it was very discouraging but yeah, I actually did buy it in college because I was thinking this looks easy. So yeah, I've learned a lot of lessons since then. <laughs> yeah, but even kind of going through that and realizing, okay, it's not as easy as I thought it was going to yeah. be, but still being, still having the courage to buy a second property is sort of very close to that time. That yeah, that took a lot of guts. <laughs> Well, you know what? I don't think it took guts because the way I'll, I'll explain why it doesn't take guts. So that property, when I was holding the first property, I was mm -hmm. um, in a contract to sell that property. And so I saw a second one in the building while I was under contract on my okay. first one. And I was like, oh, we'll do it again. Because in my mind, I'm still calculating, thinking I'm going to walk away with money. So we put, my husband and I, we put money on another one and to buy that one. And so by the time the closing happened for the first one, we were like, well, we gave our earnest money. And we're so close to closing. We're going to lose our money. So, yeah. yeah, it wasn't brave at all. It was just kind of like, I don't want to lose any more money. But the, the good thing that came out of it was that we actually made money on that deal. And it kind of really put our trust in real estate again. Because honestly, I thought it was a scam. When, when my attorney called me and said, hey, this thing can't close until you bring some money. I was like, this is, <laughs> I was pissed. So, <laughs> to say yeah. the least. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what was the big lesson there then and the, those two kind know of your numbers know your yeah. numbers definitely yeah yeah for sure yeah hmm. I, I i would encourage you if you are thinking about purchasing property or you want to learn more about real estate um i would encourage you to buy pongi's book because i bought it and have been listening to it and i think it's great um, and um and for me it like it takes a process that is very daunting and very involved. And, and I work at a law firm where we do real estate law. I don't do uh, like commercial law that much or like real estate purchases mm -hmm. and sales transactions. I don't do a lot of that. Um, but still, I work around people who do it. And obviously, they're always willing to answer questions. But it took this concept for me and made it to be like, oh, I can do this because it just... It, it wasn't that it simplified it so much, but it, it put it in a way where it was like a step-by-step -step thing of like, at this step, these are the things that you want to know. These are the things that people aren't necessarily telling you right off the bat. And so it made you think about things in a way that it's like, okay, now that I've thought it through, now that I understand these things a little more, I can do that. And it, it's okay if, if I go there and they're telling me, oh, this is what you need to do. It's like, okay, now I'm familiar with that. Um, and your book, Real Estate yeah. and Chill is is a great resource to me. And so tell me about the book a little Thank you. bit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the book was inspired because my brothers, they're like maybe six and eight years younger than me. And they were always asking me about getting into real estate. And then they would give their friends my numbers. And they would be like, hey, can, you can call her and see about real estate. So I got sick of explaining this whole process. I was actually um, recommending books for them to read. And I felt like they weren't reading because when they would come back, I'd be like, well, 
why didn't you read like that was in the book? You wouldn't have to ask yeah. me that if you actually read the book. And so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book that will reach millennials, right? Because I I felt like maybe sometimes the real estate books can be for people that are like in their mid thirties or like older and more experienced. So I was like, well, let's have a title and let's make a book like kind of based on my experiences what i've went through is not the be all and end all of real estate but it's just my experience and kind of simplifying the process and being making it relatable to millennials and so that's how we came up with real estate and chill so um i just talk about basically financing um section eight which is my favorite i love section eight um we talk a little bit about flipping we talk about making your unit ten tenant friendly um there's 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 a lot in here, so yeah, definitely pick it up. Yeah. It's on Amazon if you want to check out anything about real estate. Yeah, and for me, it was one of those things where you learn things that it's kind of like a mythbuster in in some ways. It's like things oh, cool. uh, with, with the Section Eight stuff. Uh, unfortunately, there there is a stigma there, and I think when people hear Section Eight, they automatically turn to the yes. row houses down here or Cabrini Green, and they're like, "Why would I ever want to own something like that? It's going to get destroyed. It's going to get whatever." Uh, that is not the that is not Section Eight. That is not the case with what could happen for every person's experience. And, and I think the disclaimer a little bit is, um, you never know what you're going to get because renters you, you're, you're renting it out like you could be renting yeah. it out to people who make you know a hundred thousand dollars a year and they could destroy your property um i agree so you you just really never know but it, the book to me did some myth busting because it, it's number one busting the myth of i can't do this and number two busting the myth of owning this kind of property is better than owning that kind of property simply because it's section eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think people always say that. And I laughed, I put on my Instagram, I said, you know, I guess I get the last laugh now because <laughs> I'm still getting my checks while a lot of you are crying that your market tenants aren't paying. And so, yeah, I, I feel like with section eight, you just have to screen. It's really important to screen. I talk about a list of like red flags in terms of, you know, dealing when you're when you're dealing with tenants. But yeah, I, I, I feel like in my experience, I haven't had that experience where someone's come in and put holes in my wall, tore my doors down, had a like a whole, you know, meth lab or some type of traps, you know, mm -hmm, house. Mm -hmm. and so I haven't <laughs> had that experience. But I know that when people talk to me, like, why are you dealing with those type of people? Why do you want to do that? It seems like a headache. But there are some very good, hardworking people. Most of my tenants are Section 8 have jobs. That's another thing. Like they think that they're at home sitting on their butt. I can't tell you how many times I've been to the local stores around where I live and my tenants are working at the local Home Depot or at the, at the Dollar Tree yeah. near the cashier. So that is another um, misconception. Most of them have to bring in some type of income to be able to, you know, stay on to Section 8. So I, I feel like a lot of them are respectful. Have I had some bad experiences? Yes, a couple of them. But for the overall, I will say that these people are just looking for a nice, safe, you know, safe place to live with their children and eventually do better, go to school. A lot of them are also taking classes. So I, I have another perspective about Section 8, and I don't think that they, these people are that bad. Yeah, and, and we know that, that shelter is one of the basic needs, but um, not just as a basic need, but... but um, to provide generational wealth, people have to know that they can be housed and they don't have to worry about being on the street the next day or the next month or whatever. And so can you tell us a little bit about the, the housing uh, system in Chicago has the system of, of housing and, and um, mixed income or low income housing? Has that improved over time? Do you see now it's better for people in Chicago who maybe can't afford to just go out and rent a place on their own? I mean, for me, I, I look at the rental rates and it seems like it's becoming more unaffordable to live in Chicago. And I think we can look at the numbers and see that living in Chicago is very expensive and the rent is just really expensive. And so, um, I mean, I, I have places, I have um, investment properties in very poor, poor communities, like for instance, one um, in the West Pullman area, like 
um, near off of Hofstede, very depressed area. Um, bought this house very cheap. And um, even the rent for this little house is like $1,200. But like, it's even I really don't want to even drive in there when I, you know, but I have to sometimes. But I say that to say that because you can even find stuff in Inglewood that's like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars And so how can you even justify these rent prices when people are still ducking and dodging bullets? They still have food deserts. They still don't have access to um, good health care. We just got a trauma center, I think, on the south side, finally on the south side of Chicago. So yeah. people were getting shot in Inglewood and had to be transported all the way, like maybe 20, 30 minutes away to Oak Lawn. That's a suburb right outside of Chicago. And so it was just really, really ridiculous. So now we are starting to see some of those resources come, but they're not coming fast enough. We still have food deserts. We still have people that don't have access to, uh, you know, things that other people have access to. And I think housing is really kind of getting out of hand, to be honest. Um, even looking at, and I know right now we want the real estate boom. So I'm not even going to talk about like how crazy the prices are in Chicago and how I, I look at cranes and they're sending me, you know, headlines that say it looks like the market is going to go up even higher when spring hits. So the market is ridiculous um, in terms of purchasing. But I just think as a renter and to be able to live here and with the minimum wage at the way it is, to me, it just is not something that is affordable at all and sustainable. Um, so I, I think that, you know, there's been a long history of redlining. There's been a long history of um, just, you know, people of color being locked out of the system in certain places, especially when you talk about um, the city um, hiring. There's like lawsuits against the fire department because, you know, not hiring enough black firemen, um, you know, so many sectors, the water department where so many black employees have been on the radios and different media platforms screaming about the discrimination that they're receiving at the water department. So, you know, I, I hope that, you know, on the horizon, we see better opportunities for people, you know, that are, have, are definitely disenfranchised in this, in this um, city. But yeah, for me, I, I just, I don't understand how you can justify the housing and, and what they're offering and I, I do love the fact that Lightfoot has been able to offer like um, rent stimulus um, work because that has helped out a lot of landlords. So I have, I'm in groups where they actually are applying and receiving checks from the city of Chicago for back rent. So I love that program because there are some that's some real there's some real need out there for sure. So I, yeah. I do love that. But I, I just feel like um, there's still not enough there's not enough resources to help close that gap with the with the poverty in the middle class like you know with it i just don't see it to be honest yeah and i i think that one of your goals is is likely to help people build that generational wealth where it's not just having the ability to take care of their needs but to allow their families to thrive and to flourish and to give back. And so for you, and, and maybe you can speak on this on your own family a little more, um, but how do you look at that? And how do you say, okay, uh, with what we're doing right now, this isn't just a, a now thing, but this is, we want this to be good for, for our family and for the city for a long time to come. Yeah, for us, we are we really try to immerse our children into the process, right? So we know that there are studies that show that generational wealth will go away in one generation if the children do not understand how to take care of the, the wealth that's been left to them. So I refuse to, you know, have my children be in a state where we pass away and they basically squander everything that me and my husband has worked for. So we like to take them when we're looking at properties to purchase it, we'll take them. Sometimes we'll even like go over the books with them and talk about, you know, rents received and things like that. Um, we talk about we're, we're, you know, going over our trust right now. So the kids are very involved, even in the trust. And we talk about the guidelines and what they have to do to actually earn their, um, their, uh, their, what do you call it? Their inheritance. And so we, we do not, even though it's not guaranteed, they could still, you know, blow everything, go buy a Bugatti. Hopefully they don't, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 
we we at least are trying to lay the groundwork, right? And so we 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 tell them about passive income for Christmas. They got a vending machine, so we're trying to teach them like you know, there's different. You want to have several streams of income. You know, the idea that they can put their favorite snacks in the machine and then come back a week later and collect some money for it. I'm trying to teach them things like that. Um, also, even when we're renovating, we'll have them do like a small towel job with my husband supervising them. So if you see a backsplash, my kids probably did it. But yeah, <laughs> like we try to like instill work ethic and just also having those real conversations with them about, yeah. you know, when you are left, you have a big responsibility. Not only we have an inheritance, but it's it comes with great responsibility. And you are not to squander this in just one generation and your children don't have what I left to them. So, um, yeah, that that's how we're doing it. And that's, that's why we have our books for children so other parents can get on board and, you know, start building generational wealth. And how old are your children? They are seven and ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's never too early, really. To oh no, absolutely teach. not. <laughs> not for <laughs> us. We we think that you they can if they can once they start talking and learning how to like count, I think you should introduce, you know, simple, simple I um, you know, foundational vocabulary words and simple things about money management. Yeah. It's one of those things I think we all wish we were taught a little more in school is how to yeah manage a bank account and how to yes. you know save and and spend money and and unfortunately yeah. at least uh, when i was in school it wasn't really taught and so you know we had to learn how to do other silly things that i don't think i've it's done since <laughs> right it's still not taught my children are in school and it's still not taught so there is a huge um gap and i really just don't want to see another generation of kids fall into that same trap I don't want to see my children walk onto a college campus and sign up for 50 credit cards. And I don't want to see anybody else's children do that. So it's it's really about changing the narrative and really introducing these concepts early so that they don't make those same mistakes when um, when they grow up and become of age. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the books that you've written for kids, and uh, these are obviously inspired, and I think co-written by your by your sons right yes. <laughs> which is awesome yeah. um and so these books uh are really cool and, and these here uh, valerie the vendor and Vinny the vendor we can see how how those were inspired by the vending machines yeah uh, but i love it it's like steven the sports agent and sierra the salon owner it just makes it so real where it's like oh who wouldn't want to do some of these things right. be a salon owner you know the real estate investor, the franchise owner. And and, and so uh, the books to me seem like I'm going to buy a pack if I have eight nieces and nephews. And I think you buy, you have oh, an eight pack in you. here, which is awesome. So I'm like, <laughs> yes. um, yeah, it's like these, these are really just, they, they seem to be very simple ways to, to get the interest going. Cause I think that's, that's the big thing is if you can get kids interested you know, they want to know that, everything. That's the key. Absolutely. And so that's what the books are inspired by. Just to, um, I actually was asked to speak last, no, that was two, two years ago in 2019 at a um, school in Inglewood. And the principal was giving entrepreneurship day. And to me, that that was like revolutionary because when I was growing up, it was career day. And it's just like firefighter yeah. and a cop, and, you know. <laughs> so I thought it was so cool that she was like, I want to have a I want entrepreneurship day. And I want all black entrepreneurs in the gym room talking to kids about being an entrepreneur. So someone invited me. And so I thought that was so, so that inspired the book. So uh, when I walked out of that gym room, I was more inspired by those children than they were by me or any of those other people. So I I felt like it was troubling to me that they would only get this on a one year a day, like one year out, the, you know, one day after year. So that was like something that really bothered me. And I was like, how can children have access to entrepreneurship on a daily basis? Like, and that's really when the books, it was just like, you know, it came to me. And so, um, I started with my own children with Ben the Banker, with Franklin the franchise owner, and just it kind of grew from there. So we just take different careers that are entrepreneurial and we put up a care make them like children characters and we put them in the book. And most of our characters now are black, but we're planning on expanding, you know, different to make it more diverse. But that yeah, that's pretty much the premise is just um I just 
I left, I drove out of that community and I was like, they're going to walk out this gym room and see all this, you know, this, this very, this lack around them. And I wanted mm -hmm. to enrich their lives um, as best as I could. So, yeah. Yeah, and I love it because to me, that's that's a really lasting impact. That's something mm -hmm. where it's not fixing a temporary issue. It's it's it has the real potential of making a lasting impact right. because obviously you're getting them reading, which is great, mm -hmm. but yeah. you're also getting them thinking, which is even better, um, yes. and hopefully dreaming too. Yes, yes, yes. So that's that's we've heard from so many parents, and just it just warms my heart. When people say, oh, well, my kid wants to be a sports agent now because he didn't, he's, he loves sports, he's not good at it, and he didn't know that he could yeah. do something like that. Or, you yeah. know, now my, my daughter wants to be a salon owner or a real estate investor. And so that is just like so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's really the heart of little owners, if I'm understanding mm -hmm. it, is, is just... Yeah entrepreneurship for kids and getting them to i mean i wouldn't have known what that word is before i was in high school or whatever like i most kids exactly but i think they it's great no <laughs> <laughs> and yes. so the heartbeat is really just introducing it at as yeah. early, early an age as possible then mm -hmm. yes absolutely yeah yeah that's that's amazing it's so cool that you're doing that work and and i'm sure that the parents are really loving it so Yes, Thanks and we're, so that. now we're applying so that we can become CPS vendors so we can get into the school system. Mm -hmm. So we have some parents that may not be able to afford a book, but what happens is CPS can partner with us and we can get books to all of the students. So that's definitely our goal. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, definitely keep us posted on that because we'll we'll let people know when that's available because we, yeah. we love that it keeps growing and that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so it's really cool having you here because we get to go back to the roots of our podcast a little bit because in our first season we were a real estate focused podcast and um and we've done some here and there but you know now we've focused a lot on leadership and and journey stories but i do want to talk a little bit about real estate because i think our listeners will enjoy going back there a little bit and so tell me about um Tell me about what you see in the state of the market right now or, or sort of where you see the market is or trending maybe. Yeah, so for me, I'm not, I'm not in the market to purchase at all because I really feel like this is a bubble. And so um, the prices are very inflated and some of it is just, I know that people are going to buy and have buyers more in a year because the, the values are going to just drop. Um, there are definitely people that disagree with me and think that, you know, these values are going to sustain themselves. I do not agree with that. So for me, I'm sitting out right now. I'm just kind of working on one of my rehab projects. I have a multi-unit um, property. And so there's a commercial two-store, two-store front commercials and a, a upstairs apartment. So I'm just, you know, renovating that. My brother and I co-own that together. And so that property is in Auburn Gresham. He is putting a smoothie shop there to bring a healthy option because in that neighborhood, there's nothing but fried chicken, fried food everywhere, fast food everywhere. And so he is basically bringing, you know, partnering with somebody to bring a smoothie shop there. And so that will be also the other storefront will be the home of little owners. Um, and then we'll rent the, the, the apartment upstairs up out. But for us, we are sitting tight. And then also, you know, to be honest, I think, you know, for my personal real estate portfolio, I'm definitely looking to expand outside of the state. Um, I think the, the laws can be extremely restrictive here. I would like to look at more like Indiana and Florida, more just landlord friendly states, because here it's just it's constantly, you know, where you feel like if you just do one thing wrong, they can just take your property from you or something. Yeah. I mean, it's not that extreme, but it's just um, I feel definitely restricted here. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where we see it. But we, we definitely see a very hot market. Um, here in Chicago and I think that's in all areas honestly I'm not even gonna say it's just the wealthy areas I do see a lot of inflated um, real estate even in bad people that areas that are considered bad or whatever dangerous um, even their prices are high so I don't know where we can go from here um, 
I don't know when that's going to taper itself off. Um, I know interest rates are still very low and things like that. So maybe it will take the interest rates rising for that the market to kind of cool off. But that's kind of the things of the perspective that I'm looking at. Um, do you have anything that you've seen in the real estate market? Um, I so uh, the, the reason that it's interest so interesting to me is because you know I'm looking at here soon starting to look into ownership because we still rent right now and for me I'm the kind of person where I look at it and go like oh my gosh how am I gonna owe so many hundreds of thousands of dollars on on something like it, it just it, it like it's like a knife to my heart I'm like I, I don't like having debt and so to me, I'm like, how am I going to owe this much money for 15 years? And 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 but so I got to get over that first. <laughs> yes, it's good debt. And I think if you bought very smart, like when I buy, I like to walk into equity. So I'm never buying something that like is already renovated and done. I always like to put some sweat equity so that it kind of justifies the per it pays for itself. So I would definitely say um, now is not a good time to buy. Um, personally and then I think you should consider something that's a fixer upper not a whole rental because I think that's too much for any new buyer to take on but if you yeah. can take on something that is like I don't like the kitchen I want to take the countertops off or I want to just update the bathroom I would definitely recommend something like that but yeah um, it, it can be very daunting to take on that amount of debt I agree yeah, and I I do want Chip and Joanna Gaines to come into my property and, <laughs> and turn it into one. Oh man, I, I, they're probably great and maybe not so great for real estate because now everyone wants to do it and thinks they can. I know, <laughs> and it's like it, the reality no. of that may not be so. <laughs> Exactly. And then she has like a whole design team working behind her. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. people that think they can actually yeah, take on these projects. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I did get to go down <laughs> to Waco and see her her yes. uh, the silos and the stores and everything mm -hmm. and, and and it's you know, in some ways it's the machine because you can't do something on that scale just like oh, two yeah. people going out and fixing up things. It is, no. you know, mm -hmm. and, and so it's Burn so out. cool, but yeah, <laughs> the reality cool. sets yeah. in a little bit. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think kind of getting to the point to where ownership is, is becoming more a reality. And, and one of those things where, you know, I don't want to necessarily keep putting in, monthly fees for something that I'm not getting any equity out of, not getting any, uh, there's no benefit for me out of it outside of that time that I'm living there. Um, even though I live here downtown and and I, I love our place, it's it's great. It's actually really a great apartment. It's, it's a little unusual for Chicago because it has a really big like living room kitchen area. And so it's great for you know, pre-COVID yeah. when we could have people over and yeah. <laughs> whatever. But, uh, and so I feel like that's a little hard to find in apartments. And so that's mm -hmm. why it's like, well, if I want to find that again, I may have to actually go out and buy something. Um, so getting there, but still, you know, kind of doing some investigation work. Yeah, it's a process and I would not rush the process. So yeah, as long yeah. as you're kind of, you, you're, you're on the right mindset. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, and and maybe for other people who are thinking about buying or starting to look at buying, um, can you give us something that maybe we wouldn't necessarily think about looking into or researching or really you know thinking a lot about before we go into to purchasing a new home? Can can you give us maybe a little nugget of wisdom as to what you would look at first or early on, maybe? Um, so the first thing I think that just kind of sticks out to me is definitely like the property taxes. Mm. So I think I've had a, like newbies that will get excited about a property being like under $50,000. And then we look at the property taxes and it's like ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. So, um, I personally, I'm not a proponent of buying in like the South suburbs. I think the property taxes are ridiculous and sometimes they cost more than the house. <laughs> so I, I would definitely look at that. And then if I was buying a condo, 
I will look the assessment fees, you know, because you have to keep in mind when you're buying a condo, they start off one way and they go up. And then, you know, my first experience with a condo was being, you know, saddled with these, um, the fees that basically, I forgot the name of them, but these are fees that are basically, and it's a lump sum payment you pay for things like a roof, um, if you need brickwork done, if you need window repairs and things like that. And so if I was shopping for a condo, I would talk to the association and ask them when the last time these things were updated so that you mm. don't purchase and close. And then a month later, they're like, well, now we have a, that's what it's called, a $10,000 special assessment. And so for me, mine was like $7,000. But those are the things that kind of stick out to me is making sure that you're not going to be saddled with that early on. It's one thing to be there for five years and have a special assessment. It's another thing yeah. to just close. And now they're like, you owe this amount of money and you haven't really enjoyed the, the, um, the actual building. Um, and then for just single family or, you know, multifamily, looking at those property taxes, because something can really be a great deal on paper. But when you add up all of the, you know, when you put in the property taxes and you have to add the insurance and maintenance costs and all of those things, it's not when you look at the map. So take that piece of paper, look at it. And I would say even go a step further, when you're looking, have your agent double check because I've seen it where people have lied about what the property taxes are because they they, they know that savvy buyers will not even want to look at it. Wow. And so they will actually, you know, make it like less than what it is. And then you look it up on the Cook County Treasure and you can see that it's much more than what they advertise it for. So yeah. that, that's another tip I would say is um, checking those things because property taxes have to be paid every year. They're not going away and they usually only go up. They don't go down. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's one of the things that outlasts your mortgage. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. So you have to really keep that in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's great uh, advice. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's. Uh, it's it can be a daunting process, but but those kinds of things, it's like okay, that's something I need to remember when I'm looking at the paper. When I think it says, oh, it's fifty thousand, I can do that. You yeah, know, <laughs> keep that in mind is really important. Yeah. So, exactly. um, I I'd like to talk about what your your future looks like, or for your hope for the future of of not only. Um, real estate stuff, but but for little owners as well. I know you said it's getting a storefront, which is, is really exciting. And so guessing you'll be selling some of the books in there. Um, but yeah. tell us what the future of little owners and then um, the Barnes family is, is looking like. Yeah, so I think the future of little owners is definitely getting into the school system. So, you know, this last week we were excited because we got our first um, order from a school system in New York. And they contacted me because they wanted to get books to their students. So we would like to see that throughout the United States. So um, we'll be working on trying to get those books into the hands of all the children in the schools. Um, so that's what we want to do, especially here in Chicago with CPS, especially we know the need and we know that most CPS students fall below the poverty line. So we know that they actually really need these books. Um, and then also maybe perhaps expanding it to a teen brand. So, cause I get so many requests from parents that are like, okay, I have a little kid, but what about my teenager? Yeah. So yeah. I would love to, you know, have something where teenagers could really relate to it and offer them um, some type of basic foundation. Cause they really need it because they're so close to, you know, to adulthood. And so I would like yeah. to be able to be a resource for parents and for that, that age group as well. And um, I think for the Barnes family, just, you know, um, continuing to teach our children about financial literacy, continuing to um, bring them a part of the journey and let them see the good and the bad and the ugly, um, especially of entrepreneurship. You know, I, I when I have bad things that happen in the business, I let my children know um, because I don't want them to have a glamorized idea of entrepreneurship like they yeah. see like mommy like they google my name too and so they see mommy you know on but there is you know there's the good and the bad and so you yeah. deal with customers you deal with um suppliers not coming through and 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 doing what they're supposed to do and employees so 
it comes with everything. And so I, I try to share that with my children so that they can understand what that's like if they choose to be an entrepreneur when they grow up. And um, yeah, just I think that, you know, the, those are the things that we're focusing on. And maybe to, to leave on this, can you share about your hope for the future of Chicago, of the city and, and its people? Like, yeah, what so would you I, like to see for Chicago? Yeah, for Chicago, I would love to see a city with more equity in terms of like diversity and just more um, people getting their fair share. Um, what bothers me the most, um, I think, with Chicago is just this, sometimes they have this narrative that they want to bring equity among Chicagoans, but you, the result doesn't look like that. And I think a great example is marijuana. Um, them touting it as a way to kind of redeem themselves for putting all of these people in jail. And then, you know, now you look at it and there's no black ownership in marijuana. So for me, I want to see a city that says, that actually does what they say they're going to do and lives yeah. up to that. And to see more diversity, like you said, our, our neighborhoods are so polarized and separated and segregated. And I would love to see kids being able to go to school with other kids that don't always look like them and don't have the same religion and don't have the same background. Um, I think that makes for a better world where we can all just coexist together. So the, those are definitely some of the things that, that I hope for Chicago. I hope that we can clean up these neighborhoods and give every child a safe space to be. I hate the idea that some children in Chicago cannot enjoy the summer because they are scared that they will be shot down. Um, so you start to see obesity rates rising because they can't go outside and play because they're scared. So yeah, those those are definitely some of my hopes and, and I hope I can be a part of that, you know, so yeah. Yeah, well, we know that you already have been a part of creating change and and I, I I'm really excited to hear about what happens in the future with with you and your organization and and we're certainly very grateful for you on the podcast today coming on and sharing these thoughts with us it's been great and so we, we're really grateful for your time so thank you for that thank you for inviting me this is very nice thanks for listening to this episode of bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding. 